0: Bullshit is everywhere. Bullshit is rampant. Bullshit. Bullshit. I want you to get up right now, and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell.
1: Welcome back to the Bullshit Filter, Syrian Civil War, episode 23. Welcome back, Raymond.
0: Thank you, and to you, good sir.
1: Now, uh, we're going to Game of Thrones this bitch over the next few hours because we're running out of time and we're just going to speed things up. Things that would normally have taken an entire season... We're going to get done in three minutes flat. We're going to go, oh, oh, it's what? The walls on the other side of the fucking country doesn't matter. You just, we'll just be there tomorrow. Don't you worry about that. Don't let a little thing Dude. like geography get in the way. They're going to throw some dragons in this bitch. We're going to do whatever what we is. have to do to speed it up. Because okay. yeah. I want to get on to our next topics. I think next time we were going to do Trump. Uh, and Russia and the rise of the Trump family, Trump Nation. But then after the Las Vegas shootings this week, by the way, we are recording this uh, early October 2017 for people in the future. Uh, And there was just this uh, insane mass shooting in Las Vegas. By the time the people in the future have heard this, there's probably been 200 more mass shootings that have happened, uh, bigger and better than Las Vegas. So they're like, what was that? That that was nothing. Five hundred injured, fifty nine yeah. dead. Oh, that was small fry. We wish we could go back to that, but anyway, at this juncture, it's kind of crazy. And um, I am. I, I think. I think we should do gun control. Not because I think it's going to make any difference in America, Ray. Right? I think you right, I think. Absolutely. I think you're fucked. But. Uh, I think it's something we should talk about because I see so much bullshit on Facebook. Uh, people who have no clue. I I saw Chrissy, uh, my wife, American, for those of you who don't know, she was got into a debate in a Facebook thread run by one of her brothers who lives in Salt Lake City. And um, Chrissy said, you know, Australia banned guns 21 years ago. And uh, some American guy said, Yeah, but Australia's gun death rate is much higher than America's. And she, <laughs> she was like, what? Dude, seriously? Like, do some research. Because <laughs> uh, our gun death rate is like a fraction. Uh, every gun, every. <laughs> the gun death uh, rate. For every uh, economically developed country in the world, is a fraction of the United States. The only countries that beat the United right. States gun deaths per capita, we're talking here, places like fucking Colombia and uh, Mexico, uh, you know, crazy fucking drug fueled war countries. Anyway, yeah. I'm just amazed that but Americans but we, still don't but have. We a make clue. up
0: for it, right. I'm sorry, we don't have a clue, but uh, we make up for it by not having universal health care. So, you know, lose-lose.
1: Mm. So anyway, we might do that next. But let's let's finish up Syria today. Three hours. We're going to do two to three hours to finish it up, so don't think you're getting out of it that easy. Uh, by the way, I want to say a shout-out to David Novakovich. Uh, I was at a party, Chris Sard's party, on uh, Saturday night here in Brisbane, and I'm standing out in the deck. We're watching... Jets fly around on this 44th story uh, balcony and um, (laughs) talking to some guy, Somebody standing next to me, goes, turns and goes, oh, you must be Cameron Riley." Like, I was like, what? Say what? (laughs) He said, I recognize the voice. Maybe
0: I am. Maybe I'm not.
1: So hi to David. David and I have known each other online for, I don't know, 15 years, but met in person for the first time. And I know he listens to the show and he told me afterwards his father... (laughs) studied ophthalmology in London Uh uh, 20 years ago, a fellow student of Bashar al-Assad's.
0: Get out of here.
1: All right. Well, I'm going then. I'll see you later. Uh, I said, what, what does he have to say? Bye. And he
0: said, uh, yeah, look, he didn't
1: know. Well, they weren't best friends, but he did say uh, he seemed like a really you know nice chap. And he's always been suspicious of everything that's come out of uh, Syria uh, in the last 17 years or particularly the last five or six years, because he just says, I know that guy. Like, that's not, the, you know, the the stories they're telling us about this guy doesn't sound like the guy I knew at medical school, but... Who
0: knows? All right. Do we really know each other? I mean, I mean, you know, like the guy in Las Vegas, he was uh, retired, well off financially. He was a bit of a loner, even his brother, who said he's not too surprised, you know, but still he was shocked. I mean, do we really know each other just because he knew him a little bit in medical school? There's no basis for saying that he's um, suspicious of what's been coming out of uh, Syria for the last five years. I mean, that just... That just doesn't hold up. Do we really ever really know each other? You know, deeply besides Vegas.
1: (laughs) You're not talking about the man. So we can't, I don't think we can do Vegas jokes anymore. I think, I think the Mandalay Bay thing is. Oh, that's
0: right. Shit.
1: Ruined our Vegas, uh, jokes. Um, yeah, no, look, you're right. We, we don't ever really know. And people can change and people can snap and people can be put under pressure. And I don't think David's father is categorically denying that Bashar could be a, a, a bad guy. I think he's just going, yeah, that doesn't doesn't sound like the guy on you. So anyway, I don't know. I just I get this from a fucking text message from David at midnight. I mean, I don't know. It's not like I've met his dad even. So yeah. don't take, don't get, don't don't, no don't offense, run David. away with that.
0: Love you.
1: Yeah. Anyway, hi, Dave. Right. Okay, I want to jump. I was planning on jumping right. Last time we talked about how uh, President Barrio ran up this CIA operation that apparently cost a billion. They used to say 500 million. Now they're saying a billion dollars to try and build a rebel army in Syria. And uh, it was a complete farce, completely failed. I was going to jump now to the Syrian presidential election of June 2014. Did you have anything before that in the timeline that you wanted to touch upon?
0: I mean, yeah, I had some stuff before that. But basically, you know, they, they the, the UN says for the first time that they have... Um, uh, they have evidence that uh, the war crimes committed in Syria, obviously on both sides, but as far as the Syrian government goes, that they have proof that it's, that it's, you know, coming from the highest levels of um, of Syria. So it's it's Bashar, who's leading a lot of this stuff. And so they're, they're coming out, and they're saying this, they try to have peace talks, it doesn't work, they bring in a new representative, that doesn't work. So there's a lot of people in the UN going through the motions. But Even though the death toll keeps going up, civilians, people who have defected, women and children, the UN even asked them, both sides, to quit killing civilians or targeting civilians. None of that's working. None of this is making a difference. And it's only escalating from there. And everybody's biggest fear is that this war, as bad as it is, is going to maybe eventually spill over into other countries. And then you've got this regional conflict that's just going to get all out of control. So, again, they're doing the best they can. They're achieving absolutely nothing. The fighting's going on. The killing's going on. And everybody's next greatest fear is a regional conflict. But we, but we can certainly jump to the election.
1: Okay. So, in June of 2014, Syria had a presidential election. And it may surprise you, ladies and gentlemen... To know that Bashar al-Assad won his third seven-year term in office, no. after securing eighty-eight point seven percent of the votes, that's that's a pretty damn good victory, uh, Ray. Eighty-eight. <laughs> the, the, I would be impressed with that myself. Right.
0: Yeah. I was anybody allowed to run against him? Yes, people
1: were allowed to run against him for the first time. Since uh, the, the, his, fa- his dad's revolution, or the, the, the um, bathist revolution, I guess, that sort of even preceded his dad coming to power. I think it was the first time since 1960 there had been o- right. opposition running against him. Now, the quality of the opposition we'll look into in a minute, but Is that- there was opposition.
0: Right. Is that considered progress?
1: I guess, I guess it is, yeah. Now, the su- Syria's Supreme Constitutional Court put the turnout at 73.47%. Now, that's way better than the turnout from American presidential elections, but the yeah, right. voting only took place in government-controlled areas, which not, not in the areas controlled by the rebels or by the Kurds or by the FSA or by the you know, of Daesh or ISIL, which means at this time there was no voting in roughly 60% of the country because the government only controlled the other 40, Damn. about the same as what it controls now. So... Uh, Yeah, I mean, that's a bit rough. I don't know how. Well, I guess your population spread could be such that there's only voting in 40% of the country and you still get 73% turnout. Although I suspect the 73% turnout was 73% of the people that lived in the 40% of the country. Right. If you dig.
0: Because at this point, they didn't didn't have to bring in a decorator to to change anything in the presidential palace. They
1: did not. Uh, At this point of time, three years into the war, 160,000 people uh, had died and 2.7 million more had been displaced. And I remember back when we thought that was bad. Mm -hmm. I remember. (laughs) We'd love to go back to that. Now, as I said, there were. Opposition. someone other than members of the Assad family were running in this election. There was two main challengers, uh, Hassan al-Nouri and Maher Hajar. Uh, Hassan al-Nouri received 4.3% of the vote. Ma- Maher Hajar received 3.2% of the vote. And as I said before, Bashar al-Assad scored 88.7% of the vote. Now, 88.7 plus 4.3 plus 3.2 only gives us about 96% of the vote. So the other 4%, I think, people were voting for us. I know that was a big thing. People were just writing Cam and Ray on their ballots. And we appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. Unfortunately, we weren't actual official contenders.
0: Right, and we and we so did not want to win. Are those two gentlemen still alive, I wonder? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay, good, good, good. Y-
1: yes, they are, and Clark. for good reason. For good reason they are still alive. They were pretty good friends of Bashar al-Assad, uh, as it turns <laughs> out. Now, there were 20 presidential candidates who registered to be candidates, but the Constitutional Court denied... The candidacy—I can't can't, can't, fucking talk this morning. (laughs) Denied the candidacies Mm -hmm. of uh, eighteen or seventeen, I guess, because Bashar was probably one of those twenty. Yeah, seventeen. They went. Nah, I don't think so. Uh, Why? What's wrong? Did I? Did I not check all? Yeah, no, you checked all the boxes. Did I? Didn't have the? No, you got the. You got the forms. Did my check bounce? Two forms of ID. No, you you check didn't bounce. Well, Well. you're not a good friend of Bashar al-Assad, I think is... Uh, see this big box down the bottom here? <laughs> uh, because these the guys that ran, as, as I'll show you in a minute, uh, loved Bashar. <laughs> they were running for the election right. going... I am standing for president of uh, Syria. What do you think of Bashar? Oh, he's fucking awesome, man. Like, oh, Bashar, he's the guy. He's the man. Great.
0: He's fucking right. doing I am such a good job. I am the second best person. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I am the second best person. But if you really, if you want to back a winner, you know, keep the family <laughs> in. So, so I'm sure their speeches were quite light and praiseworthy of the man himself.
1: I got thinking about this. Like, yeah, I'm very happily married, as you know, Ray. But... If at any point in the time I wasn't and I was back on the market again and, uh, you know, I was looking for a girl uh, who was obviously half my age and looking for an old grey-haired, snarky, slightly overweight, uh, lazy, uh, opinionated uh, boyfriend... Keep keep going. Um, Right? sorry. I would probably make sure that... I had two relatively good-looking guys, apart from myself, hitting on her. But just get them to go, listen, look, look, I, I, you know, I'm okay. But really, if you want a real man, you can't, <laughs> go, right. pa- you can't go past the cam. That's, that's really, we all look up to the cam. He's our hero. Yeah. Oh, and he's good in bed. I tell that's you, right. I've heard stories.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm a good lover, but he's oh. you know, cream of the crop. He does so that. He, he's one who taught me everything. He does that. He does that twist at twist. the end. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 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 um, Woo! And it'll make so, your eyes cross, um, trust me. I, anyway, I've heard. I've heard. G- Getting back.
1: I'm going to call it a Bashar from now on. I'm doing a Bashar, man. That's what I'm doing. Um, The US and the EU and the Gulf states, as you can imagine, criticised the election, called it a farce. Russia called it transparent and free. And maybe it was. uh, You just didn't have a lot of choice in it. But still, free elections. Big, big progress. And I thought that, you know, these guys who ran against him must have had balls of steel until I found out who they were. So, Nuri, Hassan al Nuri, yeah. served as a member of parliament from 1998 to 2003. And uh, before he launched his presidential campaign, nobody had ever heard him criticize Do- the president or the president's yeah. policies. Uh, Instead, during the campaign, he praised Bashar al-Assad, said that he admired him, that he agreed with him on most of his uh, policies and actions, particularly the way he'd been handling the current crisis of the civil war and uh, how he was fighting the war on terrorism. He described Bashar as the son of a great leader, um, so that's what he said, like before the campaign, but but, but during the campaign, he really mm-hmm. he really went hard after Bashar, uh, really really hard. Like I've got a quote here. This I hope you're sitting down, Ray. This is going to shock you. Uh, I, uh, during the campaign, Hassan al-Nouri said, "President Bashar Assad exerted immense effort to preserve the country and national principles." whoa man Google like him. Wow. let like, him have seriously it. wow like just that's 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 brutal absolutely brutal but he, but he wasn't finished he had more <laughs> he said <laughs> I hope you're ready for this hope you've had something so- solid to eat man uh, you don't want to listen to this on an empty stomach <laughs> he said I do believe that president Assad is a very strong leader. When you find a leader like him fighting this kind of war and this unbelievable terrorism, terrorist action in every place in our country, you have to respect what he's doing. Oh, ballsy. Uh, oh, get em. Oh, I love it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so it, it was a rigged election in spirit, but not in letter.
1: Yeah, well. Yeah. yeah. Um, maha, maha Hajar. Uh, he was a little different from Hassan al Nouri. He was the MP for Aleppo, representing the People's Will Party. People will what? People do whatever you want. That's what. what are you going to do? Oh, we will. <laughs> what, are you, what are you doing tomorrow? <laughs> Don't worry about it. We'll just do it. They had been whatever you s- tell us. Been set up in two thousand and twelve by the National Committee for the Unity of the Syrian Communists. So he was a commie. <laughs> Uh, as you may recall from our earlier episodes, the Baath Party was originally an Arab socialist party. So mm-hmm. they're probably probably pretty pally. The communists and the socialists, you would imagine. Uh, the NCUSC and CUSK, the NCUSK, had been supporters <laughs> of the Assad government for the previous couple of excuse me, couple of years. So when Maher announced his candidacy for the presidential election. The PWP distanced themselves from him. They said, look, we're a political party and, uh, you know, political parties exist to uh, compete in elections. OK, we, mm-hmm. we we agree in theory, but uh, yeah, no, we're not, we can't, sorry, we can't back you in this. Yeah. You're crazy. Bashar, he's awesome. He's our man. <laughs> Uh, which meant that Maha Hajar, uh, uh, uh fought for this election with no party, no national recognition, no followers. And guess how long the campaign cycle is for the presidential election in Syria? Uh, a month. Uh, less, three weeks. Uh, same as it is in three Australia. Now, weeks. Okay. this may. This may be shocking for Americans that have two-year presidential campaigns, uh, but in Australia, yeah, it's in, in Syria, three weeks. We basically, uh, our, our, yeah. our, our government says, oh, we got to have an election. We all go, all right, and then we have an election. Then we go, all right, somebody win? Yep, okay, let's <laughs> get, get back to fishing. Um, that's how it gets done here. Um, no it's like a around. circumcision.
0: Just snip the tip and move on and go from there.
1: <laughs> okay. Um I don't know why you went with that, but uh I'm in the
0: Larry David mood. I, I apologize.
1: Snip the tip. Um yeah. <clears throat> So this guy, so Hajar he had no recognition, no one knew outside of Aleppo who he was. So getting three percent of whatever it is probably not too bad. Um Hajar during the campaign said on the issues of sovereignty and combating terrorism and how to fight the civil war, the other two candidates and myself are absolutely in agreement. I don't think any sane person can abandon those issues. Ooh, tough, tough talk. Tough talk from Hajar there. (laughs) Um, Apparently, uh, his candidacy created a storm of derision from uh, the people in Syria on their social media. They uh, basically suggested that his candidacy were basically existed to legitimise the elections. This was the... Right. The criticism in Syria at the time apparently was, look, both of these guys are uh, just yes-men for Bashar, they only really exist so they can, so, so Bashar can say to international press and, and international governments, look, we, we're having free and fair elections now. We even had opposition, so back the fuck off and leave me alone. Look at me, I'm reforming. We're reformed. I'm yeah. a reformed dictator.
0: I can't help but think they had the election, and then someone asked Bashar, okay, what percentage do you want to win by? And somebody in the room said 85. And Bashar gave him a look. How about 88? And then he goes, mm, 88.7. I think that will do nicely. <laughs> and that's how they came up with it. I seriously doubt these other guys got 3 and 4% of the vote, respectively. I think they just picked a number that sounded solid but not too arrogant. Right in the middle, that sweet spot. Mm. And now they can get on with conducting the war. But that's just my take on it. I could be wrong.
1: Yeah, you don't want to get 99% because that looks dodgy, and you don't want to get 54% because that looks right. like maybe you don't have the full support of the people, so you want to go somewhere, yeah, you I know, like the 85, somewhere between. 85, 88. It looks half legitimate. Um, um, almost 89. Somebody <coughs> somebody uh, during the campaign said that Hajar's election campaign slogan would be Assad or nobody. <laughs>
0: If I am elected, I will not take the office. Don't vote for me.
1: Somebody else said, Mahur Hajar is a pitiable employee, and if he dared to reject this task, he would face a terrible fate, and the regime would find someone else to achieve this task. So, this, yeah, yeah. so the basic idea, at least from some of the critics, was it was a complete sham, with two opposition candidates who had nothing much but compliments to give Bashar al-Assad. Hey,
0: that's how you keep breathing.
1: Yeah, starting on the 5th of June, uh, ISIL, a.k.a. ISIS, a.k.a. Daesh. uh, I had an Iranian uh, Uber driver yesterday. We had an interesting chat about Daesh Mm -hmm. and ISIL and all these sorts of things and about Syria.
0: What was his take? Oh,
1: he's just, oh, it's all fucking religion. They're fucking everything up. Religion fucks everything (laughs) up. Fuck all these motherfuckers. You know, they're a bunch (laughs) of fuckers. He's been out of the country twenty-seven years, I oh, think. He's um, lousy. Well, yeah. ten years here, ten years in New Zealand, and seven years in London. I think he said. So yeah, well and truly oh. out. <laughs> it was it was a good rant. This is after he, he started. He did the first half of the drive ranting about taxi drivers and how he had a standoff uh, with a taxi driver the previous night, and then he, <laughs> then he got to fucking religion. Um, it was great. anyway, uh, on the 5th of June 2014, ISIL seized huge swathes of territory in Iraq uh, and that allowed them to get control of a lot of weapons and equipment from the Iraqi army who basically ran away. and some of those weapons and that equipment made its way into Syria. So that intensified, uh, some of the the challenges that the Syrian army had fighting ISIL from the middle of 2014 onward.
0: Yeah, I was reading that. Not only do they take a lot of territory, and ob- and obviously they got a lot of the, the uh, weapons from uh, from their enemies. They also took the uh, the largest dam. Uh, the Mosul Dam, formerly known as the Saddam uh, Dam, which provides electricity to 1.7 million residents of Mosul. So they're taking territory. They're taking the, this dam that's providing energy. Th- this is a, truly a group that's on the rise. They're getting a lot of adherence. And because they're so brutal, everybody's afraid of them. And like you said, they're able to take just massive amounts of territory, um, Iraq and Syria. And they're obviously going to have to be dealt with by not just one uh, opposing force like the united states or syria but they're gonna have to be uh, met by a coalition of forces or they're just going to keep going and this may again become a regional war if somebody doesn't do something
1: well i think at this stage it already was well and truly a regional war um it had been going on for quite a few years uh but yeah it's just it's it Threatens to overtake the entire Middle East and, and Africa as well, where ISIL is also mm-hmm. active, ISIL and al-Qaeda al- and their affiliated groups active in Africa as well.
0: Well, I'd read that the White House press secretary, Josh Ernest said during this time that the U- U.S. officials were closely monitoring. The situation in northern Iraq, but were not going to send troops back into the country. And of course, the United States wouldn't say one way or the other, were they, but they were considering their military options as far as what to do. Uh, but someone obviously had to do something about the uh, Sunni militants. The Kurdish leaders in northern Iraq had publicly pleaded for additional military aid from the United States uh, to confront the Islamic State. So yeah, they're like, if no one else is going to fight them, please give us the arms. At the very least, we will defend ourselves and maybe we can actually confront them because clearly clearly, the United States is not going to put massive boots on the ground because we're just sick and tired of that at this point in, in, in our history.
1: Mm. Uh, so then on the 14th of August, 2014, the commander, one of the commanders of the Free Syrian Army, you know, just to remind people, these are the guys that were part of the Syrian army. They defected. They set up, you know, this this uh, rebel army, I guess, they, the ones that are getting supported by the Americans et al. Uh, one of their commanders, Sharif Asafuri, was captured by al-Nusra Front, one of the uh, uh, fundamentalist Islamic uh, militias. And he admitted in a video that he had been working with Israel and receiving anti-tank weapons from Israel.
0: Do you think that was uh, coerced?
1: Yeah, possibly. I mean, as I was going to say, when... when You've been captured by al-Nusra Front and they put a camera in front of you. Yeah, there's a good chance you're going to say whatever the fuck they tell you to say. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Um, But, of course, whether it was a forced, uh, whether it was true or not, uh, the video was jumped on by the Syrian government and their supporters to say, Aha, see? Foreign elements. Israel. We always said that there were foreign elements, foreign governments. Supporting this, and here is evidence for that. Now, the interesting thing is you have to think about why would Al Nusra force that? Force him to say that if it was fake? Um, yeah, I'm sure that Al Nusra Front are no friends of Israel, but they. Right. Uh, but that that claim that Israel is supporting the Free Syrian Army is playing into. Uh, Bashar al-Assad's hands. Of course, Al Nusra aren't friendly to the Syrian government either. So it's uh, kind of hard for me to figure out if they had told him to say that. If it was if it was fake news, uh, why why they would go with that? How, whether or not how that plays into the to the benefit of Al Nusra. Right. You got any ideas?
0: Well, I mean, you were certainly right. I mean, that's just something that, um, that Bashar can um, point to and say there are four elements. But I wouldn't put it past Israel, who is very good at this game, very cagey. They've been doing this for quite some time to give these people support. And I, they also supposedly gave them medical aid uh, to keep the fighting going to buck up these resistors. who are are trying to fight against um, uh, Bashar's government. So it certainly is possible. It certainly is feasible. Maybe it just um, muddies the waters even more, which is always good for delaying or wrecking any kind of peace talks. Hmm.
1: Maybe. I don't know. What's your thoughts? Yeah, I I don't... I I can't make sense of it, honestly. I, I been thinking about why they would try and implicate Israel. I mean, just generally it's it, it might um, bolster the already pre-existing anti-Israel feelings. It might be part of a recruitment drive for al-Nusra. You know, we have to fight. Uh, look, Israel is uh, helping the Free Syrian Army, but the Remember that the the FSA uh, and the rebels were all sort of on the same side to a certain extent at various points. Um, they're mm-hmm. all fighting Bashar al-Assad's government. Uh, so, I don't know, man. Uh, I, I It's too hard for me to make sense out of why that would be fake. Now, as you say, Israel actually... Well, of course, they denied uh, providing weapons to the FSA, but they did confirm that they were giving them medical uh, support, basically uh, injured FSA and it seems quite possibly some al-Qaeda and al-Nusra soldiers were being treated by Israel Mm -hmm. um, and then sent back into the fight. And actually, this Free Syrian Army Commander who was captured, Sharifa As-Safuri, was one of the main liaisons with the Israeli medical teams. Um, mm-hmm. But they denied, as they said, giving them weapons. And we, and we should uh, give the Israelis credit for providing medical support. Um, whether or not they were providing them weapons is uh, anyone's guess. But then I want to get to what happened on August 19th. Um, We entered a very uh, terrifying period, I guess, uh, for at least Western observers of the Civil War. On August 19th, 2014, an American journalist, James Foley, who had been captured by ISIL, was beheaded in a video that was made public. Um, yeah.
0: And I thought it was interesting that he was, I'm sorry, I just want to throw in. He was captured in 2011, covering the conflict in Libya. He's detained for six weeks and and is released. Then he returns to report on the, uh, um, to report on the war. And then he goes missing in Syria in 2012. So obviously a very brave man. He was trying to, I guess, do a job. Um, some might call that foolhardy, but he went back into it trying to do his job. And like you said, he is captured again in, in 2012.
1: Yeah. Now, in July of 2014, uh, Obama authorized a rescue operation after the U.S. intelligence community said that they believe they knew where the hostages, because there was more than just James Foley, were being held uh, in a specific location in Syria. Um, But, as is often the case, the intelligence was bad and the mission failed because the hostages had been moved. Uh, This whole rescue operation was only declassified after Foley's death. Um, And it, it was sort of the first confirmation that U.S. troops had actually been operating on the ground within Syria during the Civil War. On August 12, 2014, Foley's parents received an email from his captors that uh, basically criticized the U.S. government, saying that it had refused to pay a ransom, unlike other governments. Uh, And they had refused to negotiate Mm -hmm. a prisoner exchange and had no motivation to deal with the Muslims except through force. We don't negotiate with terrorists.
0: Right. Well... I mean, yeah, like you said, other governments pay the money or they or they try to work with them, they get their their people back and for i guess for the washington it was it was a principal or whatever because no amount of and I guess we can talk about this later, but is there a certain number of hostages before you? give in to the demands. Is it one? Is it five? Is it 50? Is it 500? Um, Or is it just the principle of the thing saying we have to look at the larger conflict? People are dying every day. And because you have this person and you're going to, you know, it's premeditated murder, you're going to kill him. Uh, We can't stop doing what we're doing. So I don't know. I I would hate to be the one to have to make those decisions. But like you said, America has a standard policy. And so the decision through precedent and whatever else has already been made, we could not or chose not to pay them and get that man back.
1: Mm. So when ISIL uh, beheaded James Foley on uh, August 19th, they shot this video and it was released to the public and it was called A Message to America. At the end of the video, uh, ISIS threatened Obama, telling him that his next move would decide the fate of Stephen Sotloff, an American-Israeli journalist that they had also captured. And only days after the video was released, yep. the U.S. stepped up airstrikes, firing 14 missiles at various ISIL Humvees near the Mosul Dam.
0: Right. Right. So, I mean, obviously, the United States had already made its decision, but yet Foley was uh, forced to make a statement saying he wished he was an American and that the executioner who spoke in English said that his killing is payback for the recent killings of Muslims by the American, uh, the American bombing campaign. So, again, if you keep bombing, we'll keep doing this. And um, who's going to give up first?
1: Yeah, right. So uh, a few weeks later, they also beheaded Stephen Sotloff and released that beheading in another video entitled A Second Message to America. The video opened with a clip of a speech that Obama gave on August 20, denouncing ISIL for beheading James Foley. And in the video, the executioner, who was described by the media as Jihadi John, He's the same guy Mm -hmm. who beheaded James Foley. He says, I'm back, Obama, and I'm back because of your arrogant foreign policy towards the Islamic state, because of your insistence on continuing your bombings and on Mosul Dam, despite our serious warnings. So just as your missiles continue to strike our people, our knife will continue to strike the necks of your people. Now Jihadi John seems to have been a British Arab by the name of Muhammad Mwazi. Apparently mm-hmm. his hostages nicknamed him John because he was one of four member uh, sort of terrorists uh, that they were that was holding them that had English accents, and these hostages referred to them as the Beatles. And uh oh God <laughs> On the 12th of November 2015, U.S. officials reported that Mwazi had been hit by a drone strike in Raqqa, Syria. So that was the end of Jihadi John, but uh, in the the previous year, he uh, made videos executing quite a long list of people.
0: At some point, I don't know, just just the general conversation, and because governments have to have this talk all the time. I mean, what do you do in a situation like that? What are your options, if any? Do you just keep plugging forward, knowing that this is going to happen? This is just the price that you pay for... With all today's technology and, and having reporters in the in the area that could be abducted. I mean, is it just something that's gonna happen and you really can't do much about it anyway, as much as you warn them to stay away? I mean, it, it just seems to be an impossible situation, which is the whole point for the um for the terrorists.
1: Look, I think this is symptomatic of a bigger issue, a broader issue. Um mm-hmm. the, the, the the kidnapping and ransom of People in this situation and America's refusal to negotiate is uh, similar to you know, what's going on at the, the higher level. So the, the, basically, you've got if you take this situation, you just isolate it down to ISIL and the United States. ISIL has objectives that they want, they call themselves mm-hmm. a state, the Islamic State. So you have two states that have. Competing objectives. ISIL wants control of Arab countries, Arab regions. They want to build a caliphate. And the United States has their objectives. Uh, If you're being generous, you might say that they want to have uh, democracy and freedom uh, and liberty for all uh, in those regions, if you're cynical, you would say that the United States wants to control the governments in those regions. They want to have, uh, yeah, according to the Kirkpatrick doctrine that I think I've mentioned before on this or the Cold War show, Jeannie mm-hmm. Kirkpatrick uh, developed it in the 70s. Uh, you want to have friendly dictators in these countries that are friendly, friendly right wing dictators that are friendly to American. Uh, ambitions and policies um, so they can get what they want out of the Middle East region um, basically prevent another OPEC crisis right? Uh, so right. Uh, now when states have competing objectives in a region I guess you have a range of ways of dealing with that you can all sit down at a table and negotiate and try and come up with a win-win compromise solution where everybody gets some of what they want or you can refuse to negotiate and say no we're going to go to war and we're going to take you out now i think in in this sort of a situation this is what the u.s is doing there at a broader level they're saying no we're not going to negotiate with isis and why not? Why aren't they negotiating with ISIS? Well, you might say, well, ISIS are a brutal bunch of terrorists. Okay, sure. Yes, no doubt about that. They right. killed thousands and thousands, probably tens of thousands of people. They've destroyed ancient monuments. They've left, you know, probably just thousands of God rapes and, and murders and everything in their wake. But is America any different, mm-hmm. really? Uh, you know, the the blood on the hands of America uh, in the last 60 years in order to achieve their geopolitical aims is far worse. you know, 10 times, a hundred times worse than the blood on the hands of ISIL. And keeping in mind that America kind of gave birth to ISIS, in the first place, when they went into Iraq and created a power vacuum in Iraq in 2003 uh, that that allowed ISIS to, to rise up in the first place. So the, the whole we don't negotiate with terrorists over hostage crises, I think is just... Uh, Symptomatic of America's entire approach with these things, they're not willing to sit down and negotiate peaceful solutions or win-win solutions with uh, these parties. And, and and this is kind of America's. Uh, and I'm, again, look, I'm, I apologise to my American listeners. I'm honestly, I'm not trying to beat up on America here. This is just, I think, the the, the cold hard facts of how America deals with the world because it can, because it's been the only surviving superpower since world war 2 really economic and military superpower right. it do- doesn't need to negotiate it tells every other country this is what we want give it to us or else why negotiate yeah. when you don't have to when you're the when you're the only power really when your military is bigger than the rest of the militaries of the rest of the world combined you don't have to negotiate augustus caesar didn't negotiate. Alexander the Great didn't negotiate. They just said, "This is what we want. Give it to us, or shut the fuck up. We'll take it." Really, that's this is how superpowers conduct themselves. Um, and I, 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 I think, yeah.
0: So I guess we haven't evolved. <laughs> well, well, I just yeah. wanted to add, I just wanted to add one other thing. So, but yeah, the idea of two groups sitting at a table talking um, would be preferable obviously but when one side um their side if if i can, if i may uh you bring religion into it which seems to be absolute intolerant and demands obedience i mean it just it just negates any possibility of a discussion on their side there can be nothing because everybody has to fall under them i mean even the, even the um what is that one group that they that they massacred in that village Um, they were pre-Arab and they were, they were followers of the Zoroastrian, uh, religion going back to the people who listened to our Alexander. I mean, even those people, they considered them devil worshipers for their, for their uh, views. And so even, even they did not have a right to live according to, to their, to, um to ISIL's dictates because their religion said that they have to be everybody has to conform and if you do not if you do not absolutely submit you are it is you are not worth living we we have the, every right to kill you so so america certainly has its flaws but their side yeah there is no negotiating possible because of the religious aspect of it
1: you don't think america has a religious aspect to how they conduct themselves as well though
0: we do but i mean as far as this particular conflict. I mean, they're the ones who are yelling, God is great when they kill someone or whatever they're doing. So, uh, so America has its religion and it certainly has blinded us to certain other groups of people, but it's not as big a part on our and factoring in on our side than it is for, uh, for ISIL, for the Islamic state.
1: Oh, I, I don't know if I agree with that. I mean, every president, every presidential speech in the last 40 years has included God bless America.
0: Yeah. That, that's true, but does that even compare to people in Iran and Iraq yelling America is the great Satan and and burning effigies and uh, God is great when they're killing people? I don't know. To me, it's, uh, don't get me wrong, uh, the Western, Western world has done some horrific things in the name of religion. I guess it's just, I, I can't help but notice what they're doing now. And I feel sorry for all those people who are being judged by these people and it, being killed outright for it.
1: You know, there are reports uh, to ten or so years ago that George Bush uh, Junior, George H, uh, George right. W. Bush, told I think there were Palestinians uh, told somebody around sort of two thousand and right. two, two thousand and three, in some you know uh, meeting that um, God had called upon him to get rid of uh, Saddam Hussein, that this was, uh, you know, God had spoken to him. He was doing the will of God uh, with the Iraq invasion and hundreds of thousands of Iraqis uh, have died as a result of America's invasion uh, of Iraq in 2003. So I don't know, man, like I, I think America is not as overt about their religious Um, motivations for these things. Zeal, right. But I think when you get into the upper political and military echelons and and particularly with a lot of the rank and file troops, there's definitely a lot of religious zeal. I remember when I interviewed rapper uh, Graydon Square on one of my podcasts years ago, who um, I've mentioned before, he he did, I think, four tours of Iraq. Uh, He talked about how they were Basically, almost forced into attending Bible study sessions uh, in, on, in their camps in Iraq. It was expected that you would go to Bible study camps. And uh, he said it had huge religious overtones when he was there. And that they were all told that they were doing God's work by you know, killing uh, Iraqis.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, that I can certainly attest to. My son, who's in the Marines, is um, encouraged to go to church, uh, to their to their service every Sunday, which he he's non, a non believer, he's an atheist, whatever. But he does it because it's an hour that he can just sit there and relax uh, and get out of work. But um, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, both wow. sides. I guess when I think of religion in America, and I, I think of God, I want to get struck down by God for this. Um, <laughs> I think of uh, lower socioeconomic people who are struggling and they put their faith in something because life has just beat the shit out of them over and over again. When I think of the more affluent, I have a hard time thinking that they're just as enraptured with the religion. But yeah, if you have a if you have a set group of elite people who also believe they're doing God's work, that truly does make them, for lack of a better word, dangerous. Mm
1: anyway let's let's keep anyway, going yeah. uh, I want to talk about the rest of the beheadings before we run out of uh, this episode so um, yeah in on the 13th of September to oh by the way Sotloff before I get off of Stephen Sotloff um, he was the reporter right. that broke the Benghazi story confirmed to CNN that there was no protest that caused the killing uh, and the, the sort of the riots of Benghazi where the ambassador got killed. If you remember, the US media and the White House, I think, were originally reporting that there had been protests that were associated with... Yeah. Uh, This film that was made that offended them and they were kind of blaming the film for the uh, killing of the ambassador. And uh, Sotloff was the guy who shit on that story, said, nah, that's all bullshit. And then, um, yeah, he got captured and beheaded. Um, On the 13th of September, 2014, there was another video, this time directed at British Prime Minister David Cameron. That showed British hostage aid worker David Haynes being beheaded by Jihadi John. On the 3rd of October 2014, there was another video released by ISIS showing Mwazi beheading another British aid worker, Alan Henning. Henning was a taxi driver from Greater Manchester who had volunteered to deliver aid to Syria. He ended up being beheaded. Uh, A little bit over a month later in November 2014, there was another video posted of Mwazi standing over a severed head, which the White House confirmed was that of Peter Kassig, a 26-year-old former U.S. ranger from Indiana who had been captured while working as a humanitarian worker on the Syrian border. Um... Now, the video that ended with his head also showed the beheadings of a number of Syrian soldiers uh, mm-hmm. by a group of guys, again, led by Mwazi, a.k.a. Jihadi John. So we went through this period where there was a lot of these beheading videos coming out. Uh, did you
0: watch any of those, Ray? No, I'm sorry. I could not do that. Did you? I- I did, and and that's because
1: I did watch a beheading video probably 15 years ago, one of the early beheading videos that came out, I think, after the Iraq invasion uh, Mm -hmm. or the Afghanistan uh, invasion. One of those, back in the early... I can't remember, but it was a long time ago. And uh, it fucked me up, man. Like, uh, I still... Even just thinking of it, it makes me feel... Queasy. It it really. Well, I felt li- physically ill for days afterwards watching it. It was the most because it's not, <laughs> you know, it's not a clean uh, Ned Stark right. chops off someone's head with one blow of me of his mighty sword. It was uh, lots of hacking through tendons and uh, bone yeah. and. Uh, you know, it was as the guy who tried to chop David Markham's head uh, off with a machete realized
0: uh, it's not as easy as it looks. It's, right. God. Oh, my God. Yeah. Now, because I, when I met David in uh, Vegas, you, I saw the scar and you, I'm just like, shit.
1: You wanted to chop his head off, you, but, no. you, but you realized it was a lot harder than it looked.
0: No, he kept he kept ordering forty dollar drinks. I'm like, yeah, this guy's blowing through our budget. But anyway, I, I calmed down. And he wouldn't I shut up. up. And he would not shut up. It, it was it was it was the David show. Um, yeah. Now he, he um. Now in your video, not not that I'm trying to, because I've seen that like the beginnings of other videos. There's it's not like it's done with just a few people around. I mean, there seems to be a very large group of witnesses or whatever the proper term is, I don't know. But when the one like someone's being punished for a crime and they get their head cut off, there seems to be a lot of people around. I mean, this is, I don't know, the, accepted or acceptable in certain parts of the Middle East or whatever. I mean, it just seems so strange to me to have a large group around. Like you said, you watched a video and it messed you up. These people were there. And it's probably not the only beheading they've ever seen.
1: Yeah, but, man, it wasn't that long ago in the West when we were hanging people in the public square or beheading them and guillotining them. I mean, public displays of execution, people in America still go to uh, watch people getting executed in the States where you still have it, right? I know it's not not an open public square, but people go to watch people getting executed. But how long ago in the United States were people all standing around watching executions? How long ago in the United States... Were the KKK all standing around watching some poor black guy being burned alive on a stake? We're talking the 60s?
0: Yeah, something like that. Um, yeah, my grandfather uh, was uh, invited to one who they were trying to get him to join. And he just, that's when he knew he, 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 was fine with it up, up until that moment. That's when I said, you know, that's a line I just can't cross. And he, and he has family with him. He had a bunch of little kids with him and he turned around and went home. And that was the end of that, uh, episode in our, in my family's life.
1: At least that's what he told you.
0: Well, he was Native American. I'm like, who in the <laughs> fuck invites a Native American to a KKK rally? He but was? I guess they needed. The, he was he's fucking full blooded Cherokee. I'm like. Do they really need the numbers that bad? I mean, look at your skin. Look at your hair. I mean, you know, he like he combed his hair back. He slicked it back. He tried to assimilate, look like everybody else. But if I show you a picture, you're going to go, yeah, Native American. So you got to you got to
1: you got to send me that picture because whenever the topic comes up that you're one 15th Cherokee, Chrissy always goes, fucking Ray, everybody in America (laughs) reckons they're one 16th Cherokee. It's all bullshit. Fucking Ray's full of shit. She's so, always saying you're full Chrissy, of shit. get
0: off my back. I'll, I, I will happily send you a photo of my papa.
1: Do it. Do it so I can rub her face in it. Um, by the way, i got to tell you, I was driving around <laughs> in the car with Fox the other day. Uh, I don't know, a week ago, I picked him up from being a babysat or something, and I had one of our shows on. I can't remember which one it was. And he said, Daddy, can I, I have to tell you something. And I said, what is it? I paused it. He said why are you making funny noises with you and Ray Ray? <laughs> I said, what? He goes, you and Ray Ray, that funny. I said, how did you know that was me and Ray? He just knows you and Ray Ray, you and Ray Ray funny.
0: Oh, tell Ray Ray. him to write a review.
1: <laughs> so we'll send him a coffee mug. Uh, <laughs> Maybe we should start making sippy cups with our uh, thing on the side of it. Yes,
0: get them while they're young, like the cigarette lobby. That's
1: always been your policy with women. No, so your father was a, your grandfather <laughs> was uh, full-blooded Cherokee, really? really. Wow. Yeah, and Charles, is that, is that, South Carolina. Yeah. Is that is that why you're short? Um,
0: I don't know.
1: know. I don't know. Mm. I don't know. Just all right. Yeah. So. Yeah, public beheadings. Yeah, but it's not that long ago when groups in America and all over the world were doing sort of crazy public shit. Um, we, we we haven't been out of that phase that long ourselves, I think. Um, it is hard to imagine wanting to stand around and see that. But, um, yeah, there you go. So, um, on the 23rd of September 2014, American jets began bombing ISIL in Syria, Which was a major turning point in U.S. involvement in uh, in the region. Uh, They they hadn't been directly engaged apart from, you know, that uh, attempt at at rescuing the hostages before. Mm -hmm. Uh, As far as we know, I mean, probably a lot of covert stuff happening with the CIA, but this was the first public-acknowledged engagement at that level they hit about 20 targets in and around raqqa and uh they had partners involved wasn't just the u.s bahrain the saudis the united arab emirates qatar and jordan qatar and jordan were all involved hasn't qatar fallen out of the news Remember when, sounding like a couple of months ago, we were all like, yeah. "Oh, Qatar, oh, they're in the shit now." Now nothing, haven't heard about Qatar for ages. How quickly they must
0: be doing something right, yeah? Because it looked like Saudi Arabia and Qatar was about to go at each other. So yeah, so they must have pulled back. They must have realized and pulled back wisely. So
1: yeah, that that just you know used up media cycles for a week. We've moved on now. We have got Rocket Man and uh, yeah. whatever Daca, whatever oh other God. crazy shit Trump's into. Um and then on the 30th of September uh 2014. No, 15. Am I jumping a year? Yeah, I'm jumping a year in my timeline here. Yeah. <laughs> uh yeah. at an official request by from the Syrian government, the Russians got involved. They uh they sent in the Russian Air Force uh to make airstrikes on ISIL and Free Syrian Army targets. So this is when the US, the US, sorry, the USSR. It's, fuck, it's not even the USSR. The Russians. So I went to see, mm-hmm. went to see um, Blade Runner twenty forty nine last night, and right. uh, it was pretty good. But there was a there was a lot of the. Uh, logos there's like the CCCP logos in a lot of mm-hmm. the, the 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 I don't know the ads that you see going on in the background they kept a lot of the the feel and the the logos from uh the original because it, you know crazily the original was made in like 1982 right blade runner but it was set in 2019 right and they had Atari logos and uh <laughs> Soviet Union logos, like the CCCP stuff, and uh, Pan Am. Because, of course, all those things were real in 1982. Nobody would right. imagine that by 2018 or seventeen they wouldn't be around anymore. Uh, so, so they continued through. So all those things appear in the 2049 version. So that was pretty cool. Anyway, sorry, Russia. So that's when Russia officially got involved. They were invited in, and this is important to realize... Important Mm -hmm. point here. The Russians were invited in by the Syrian government, which makes the Russian involvement in the country legal, according to international law. America has not been invited in uh, by the Syrians. So America's involvement then as now is illegal.
0: What about the United Nations um, resolutions?
1: The well, United here, Nations... What about... Yeah. Well, of course, the Security Council resolutions, and there have been many, and we'll talk about them, I think, maybe in the next episode, uh, have never given permission for military involvement. Uh, Chapter 7... Uh, because
0: Russia yeah. and China keep shooting that down on the Security yes. Council.
1: Particularly, yeah, Russia and China keep vetoing that. So America's involvement, which is ramped up as we'll see in the next couple of episodes, uh, <clears throat> particularly uh, of late, uh, is illegal under international law. Does it um, matter? Aren't
0: we aren't we currently bombing in six or seven different countries right now? Do we need the law?
1: <laughs> I am the law. No, that's what. Why did I do that's that, doing a Stallone? That was rhetorical. Stallone. I'm doing a Stallone line in a Schwarzenegger accent. I don't know. I am. I am. A.G.N. I am the law. No, it's, that's terrible. I am the law. <laughs> Fuck. Terrible.
0: Yeah, All right. Um, I am the law unto myself.
1: So we'll, we'll, we'll get on to that in the next episode. We might wrap it up in the next episode. I, I think I've got enough notes for one, maybe one and a half, maybe two episodes left. But we'll, we'll wrap it up soon, kids. Um, so, yeah, uh, that's where the Russians are. F- Technically, officially got involved, was in September 2015. And uh, also in the next episodes, we're going to talk about the gas attack that happened earlier uh, this year in 2017. Kaisha uh, Kaishakun, which led to Trump's bombing, we'll cover that. And uh, we'll bring us up to, to, you know, today, October 2017. We'll get us up to date and then we'll leave it there so we can yeah. move on to other... Other subjects that we need to handle. Anything you want to say before we uh, go out, Raymond?
0: Just other subjects that, that they're screaming out for our attention, I think is how you meant to phrase it.
1: Yes, okay. Yeah. Bullshit, Bullshit. Bullshit.